sometimes that gets lost. Sometimes it gets sort of we're serving ourselves, we're serving our investor, we're serving. And those are all fine. Those are all fine things to do. But in reality, you become quickly irrelevant if you stop serving your customer. Welcome to the Sask Entrepreneurs Podcast. Each week, we bring you an interview featuring an entrepreneur or business leader in the Saskatchewan province. We dive into their journey, lessons learned, and views on the outlook of the Saskatchewan business market. This episode is brought to you by 2Web. Growing your business online is overwhelming. At 2Web, we make it simple. Our agency has helped over 700 businesses and nonprofit organizations grow through digital marketing. Learn more and reach out to us at 2Web.ca. Welcome to today's episode of the Sask Entrepreneurs Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to have Jeff Stusik, who was born and raised in Regina. And he also attended the University of Regina, where he obtained his undergraduate degree in business as well as his MBA. He had various jobs and roles over his career, spending 13 years working with the city of Regina in finance, taxation, assessment, IT, and finished his stint at the city as the director of transit. In 2006, however, he was recruited to join Information Services Corporation as their chief operating officer. A couple of years later, in 2008, he was named the permanent president and CEO. And under Jeff's leadership, ISC evolved and grew. He focused the organization away from being a monopoly and charged the staff to act like the customers have a choice to do their business. Jeff has just recently stepped down as the CEO of ISC and joins us on day one in his new chapter. Jeff, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. So Jeff, I was kind of going through your background and it's quite intense. Your journey has been so inspiring just to read about the evolution that it has taken and also what you've done there at ISC and how you've changed the mindset. So would love to hear more about that journey as well as your personal backstory. Well, it's a pleasure to be here and, and look forward to the conversation. I, I think I have a boring kind of existence and backstory, but other people sometimes say something different. I'm a Regina guy. I was born in Regina and did my education in Regina, as you mentioned. And then I started working for the city of Regina. And, and I learned a lot of during that sort of time working in the city of Regina, I had a lot of different roles and jobs. And I learned about how to work and how to work hard and the, and the importance of public sector service and how valuable and impactful that is. And then I got to do some really neat things in the IT space and the geographic information space and data warehousing and business intelligence and those types of things really before they were cool. And then I got to run the transit system for a few years, which gave me some good operational experience. And then I got to go to ISC. And that ISC, that's obviously been the last 16 years of my life, in a leadership role as chief operating officer for a year and a half, and then uh, became the this president and CEO. And really, the journey is an interesting one, I suppose, that uh, we were a crown corporation. We ran a monopoly. We ran a registry. We ran a couple of registries, ran the you know, land registry, personal property registry. and and we did a pretty good job of that. ISC, before I joined the company, you know, had a rough, rocky start in 2000 and, you know, focused on a couple of mandates as opposed to getting any particular one right. And so they struggled a little bit. So when I came into the company, the leadership at the time had got a few things. They really focused on the delivering the business and the service. And so my challenge was what's next? And you touched on a piece that I think I learned back then and I, I, I still carry with me today. We were a monopoly. We, you know, our customers didn't have choice. If you needed to do a land transaction, 
you needed to use ISC. And that's just the way it was. That's just the nature of that type of service. And I just didn't think that sort of monopoly viewpoint was going to serve anyone, especially our customers, but also our employees very well. And so I started this sort of mantra of act as if our customers could go across the street and do business with a competitor to do that same service. Let's act as if our customers have choice and let's drive our behavior. And we had a dedicated staff that really did a great job. That's not, that wasn't sort of earth shattering for them because they did a good job. We were a little bit numb. We checked our customer satisfaction annually with all of our customers. And it was sort of a numb, like, oh, 97% satisfied, 98% satisfied. Like it was just a whole hum, we're satisfying. And so I shifted that a little bit later to say, no, unless they give us a nine or a 10 out of 10 on our service, we fail. And we've got to deliver exemplary service, excellent service, stuff that's memorable. And we compared ourselves not with other monopolies, not with other government services, but we compared ourselves with companies that at the time that were doing great things in the world of customer service. So if you think of WestJet back in 2008, when it was actually fun to fly and Delta hotels that really committed to, to that sort of customer experience at the time, And we measured ourselves against those companies, not against other government services, whether locally or nationally. And so that shift was really important. And what it did was it created advocates. Our customers became our advocates. And our customers would then bang down our owner's door, which happened to be the government of Saskatchewan, to say, these guys have everything figured out. Let them solve some more problems for you. And at that point, you know, we took over vital statistics. We took corporations branch, cleaned them up, modernized, got it oriented around the service model, and really grew as a Crown Corporation, despite being an environment the Crown shouldn't be growing. In some ways, I viewed us as we were a screwdriver for every problem that the government saw. Like, could you fix this? Could you fix this? And that was a good, that was not something we were scared of. We liked solving problems and liked being part of that sort of solutioning. In 2013, though, the challenge changed and the government at the time, the Brad Wall government, with discussions, said, what, like, where do we go? And that, that was when we decided to privatize the company. The government decided to privatize the company. We became a TSX traded. We went through, I led the company through an IPO. And then we were on this competitive landscape. We were no longer fictitiously saying that we have a monopoly. We don't have a monopoly anymore. We have a monopoly in Saskatchewan around the registry still like a long-term contract, but we were out there competing for business. And so we made a lot of acquisitions. We made seven major acquisitions. We expanded our business. We have staff now in in Vernon and in Toronto and Montreal, in Dublin, but we maintain our head office in Saskatchewan. And that's really important to me because I'm a Saskatchewan guy. And I just don't see us having publicly traded companies, head offices, genuinely in Saskatchewan. And ISC is just a fantastic, fantastic success story. Certainly not because of me. There's a lot of smart people that have done a lot of great work to get us here. But Saskatchewan people should be super proud of this company. It's a global player. It has world-class technology. We create registry technology in Dublin. We serve the banks and the law firms across the nation and across the globe. We're competitive in, in operating registries. And at the same time, we still do all that high quality work that we did. And I would put Saskatchewan registry operations that are sort of where we cut our teeth 
as the best service delivery in the world. That's a bold statement, but I stand by it. Our turnaround times are unbelievable. Technology is solid. Like our people are solid. So there's sort of a lot to unpack there, but that's kind of the backstory. Well, I mean, there's definitely a lot to unpack there. I mean, you obviously went through this shift of essentially converting a monopoly into something that is a bit more, that is more privatized, that is an IPO. It requires a drastic shift in terms of mindset because, you know, when you're in a monopoly, you're in a state of comfort. You don't have to do certain things a certain way. But when you get into that competitive landscape, you really have to drastically change your business model and then to succeed immensely in that business. It almost seems like this is a, like a unicorn example. You have multiple acquisitions that you made and over the years grown the team in multiple countries as well as uh, in different areas. I guess, was this always the vision that you had for ISC or did it evolve over time? By nature, I'm not a visionary. I have a leadership style and an approach that sort of governs me. And so, you know, I would say there's, there's a whole bunch of smarter people than me that can craft a vision and I'm not one of those visionaries. And so the approach that I take is this, and I will use this for the rest of my time on the planet, is as we look at business and business models, I believe in two things. One is you build your business around a customer, like current or future, but always be checking against that to say, are we building our business around our customer? Because as organizations grow and evolve, sometimes that gets lost. Sometimes it gets sort of, we're serving ourselves, we're serving our investor, we're serving, and those are all fine. Those are all fine things to do. But in reality, you become quickly irrelevant if you stop serving your customer. And so this isn't just a public sector problem. This is a private sector problem, especially with successful companies that essentially build their own monopoly or create a natural monopoly or get so good at what they do, we become reticent. So one is, are you doing what your customer is asking you to do or needing you to do? Or are you anticipating what they're going to need you to do? So that's sort of one side, build your business around the customer. And the second side that some of us forget sometimes, take care of the people that are taking care of your customers, i.e. invest in your employees, you know, give them the autonomy, give them the tools, give them the training, keep investing in your employees because one without the other doesn't work. And I suppose there are a few business models that might, but there aren't many that don't require people to sort of fit our customer need and vice versa. And so in 2006, the mantra of, Build our business, make sure ISC relates to the customer. Let's ask them what they want. Let's not tell them how long a land transaction is going to take. Ask them what would work. We went to the lawyers and said, what's the model? And the lawyer said, well, what I'd like to do is I'd like them to come in. We'd file for land titles and I'd tell them in two days to come back and we'd plan it. So you want guaranteed, like really close delivery to two and a half days, two, two and a half days. Yeah, if you can do that, I'm good. Okay, so it doesn't need to be faster. No, not necessarily. Just don't be two days one time and six weeks the next. Just let's have a plan. So then, okay, what do we got to do in our system? Change it. Turns out we didn't have to add a bunch of costs. We had to tighten some processes and checks and balances, but that was just good for us. And we just keep evolving the business. As I look at our friends in Alberta that run the exact same registry, they're at six, seven week turnaround time. ISC, two days, two days. And that's what our customer wanted. And I'd say in private business or in public sector business, just be careful about 
my advice is be careful about your own success because then complacency builds in and you start serving the accountants or the HR teams or whatever, and you forget, no, no, we're in business for customer here. And that's what we take care of. So at what stage did you start getting comfortable with the growth or was there always this strive to do better than the year before? There was always a strive to do better, but that was driven around like even as a crown. So this is not a political commentary in any way. Crowns in Saskatchewan during this time, they weren't really there to be wildly profitable. They were there to serve a purpose, try to be profitable, but let's not lose money and let's make sure everyone has telephone service, whatever. Again, not being political. ISC ran land registries. We want to make sure they're reliable and can be counted on and the like, and that the fees are reasonable and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so we did that. I think what inspired us is, wow, like we run these cool registries. Then we got vital statistics and it was hadn't been updated in decades. So we implemented a technology system, a process in which people could see where their their birth certificate request is in the queue, sort of responding to customer need, and re, we modernized that system. And then we took the same approach with the corporations branch and modernized it so that people can register businesses online and do all those things that you'd expect a registry company to do, but not necessarily a government to do. And I think even as a crown, we had a sort of a growth orientation, and I made sure our people were comfortable with change. Like there's different types of folks. You need people that are interested in continual change, and you need to make sure you have people that take care of those sort of details. And it and those may be the same people or they may be different people, but you got to have both. And then as we rolled into a publicly traded company, the demands of the shareholders and the sort of continuous growth, like that was an automatic. It's a quarter by quarter reckoning, and we needed to continue to grow. Fortunately, like we came out the IPO at 14 bucks in 2013. We hit 34 bucks a share at one point this year. Like our market cap shifted from 200 and some million to 500 some million. And we were growing the company, we're growing the revenue line, we're getting the results, but not losing touch with what are we here for? Building our business around the customer. So when we acquire companies, so we acquired seven companies in the last nine years. We looked for cultural matches that like cultural match is important because if you're not built around the customer or you don't take care of your employees, that's going to be a cultural misfit for us. And we were very selective about the companies we went after to acquire because they had to fit right in because cultural mismatch is a tough over, like it's a tough thing to overcome. We developed a, a little bit of a vetting framework that says we don't go after companies that do this or look like this or, or do that. And one of those things is how will they match with us? culturally. They don't have to be perfect, but you have to be able to see sort of a path to the end. And for me, we couldn't jeopardize our values and our approach just because we acquired a different company. They had to kind of model with us. And actually, that's a very, very important point. I was going to ask you about what is the decision criteria that you normally take when you're working on acquisitions, because you have done multiple acquisitions, seven. And obviously, you know, the cultural alignment is key so that you can have integration within your current systems and your current workforce. But what else do you look for when you're looking to acquire companies? For us, I always had an approach of, I want to continue to expand our customer base and our value to our customers. So when we were out there acquiring business, it was really, what can we do? Here's some examples. Our customers would tell us, we had some financial institutions that we were dealing with, 
and we help them with the credit cycle, you know, part of what we do. And our financial institutes were saying, we would love if you help us with the front end of the credit cycle. What about when the debt goes bad? Occasionally that happens. You can't help us there. And so then, okay, well, that's a customer asking us to say they'd like to have us on the back end of a credit situation where there's a, you know, a repossession of a vehicle and sale and all that kind of stuff. And so that was an example of an acquisition. Another example of an acquisition, we, we acquired ERS, which is the Dublin IT firm, and they create registry software. And we needed a partner to go to other jurisdictions to, for us to offer our services, and we needed a technology partner. So we would often partner with ERS out of Dublin. They're great. They're world-class, best in the world. And we're like, well, we should acquire them. And we've got to make sure the cultural fit happens. So that's a long answer, too. I'll tell you what it wasn't. It wasn't a cost synergy acquisition model. Those were alligators to me that we're going to acquire our way to the bottom line, like improve bottom line because they don't need two accounting groups and two HR. Those are logical, but that's not how we approached acquisition. It wasn't to find 40% synergy in cost savings in the first year. It was about customer synergy, revenue synergy, opportunities to upsell or widely sell. That's where we built our business. And so the acquisitions, you know, we were a seven for seven. We didn't fail. They all proved to be accretive to our bottom line. And so that was also an important part of it is, do they make money? Are they going to, we have this great ship that's, you know, cruising across the ocean. You don't want to create your own choppy water and start taking on water. You want to make sure anything you add just continues to accelerate your pace and your trajectory. And, and we were really successful with that. I love the fact that you're always keeping the customers first, even through these acquisitions, trying to make sure, okay, that these acquisitions play a key role to improve the customer experience. And I think that's why they're, they've been such a successful piece when it comes to the growth of FISC. Now, when you're looking at acquiring these companies, obviously you spoke and emphasized the cultural aspect. And you know, companies, they struggle with having a consistent and cohesive culture in their companies. And do you have any advice to other entrepreneurs as far as what does it take to create a performance and healthy cultural workplace? It's a little cliche, but culture starts from the top. And I've seen too many businesses struggle or fail where there is a misalignment between what the CEO or leader is looking for in a culture and what he or she demonstrates in the culture. And so it is, for me, for example, we need a company that takes care of its people. Can't be words and not action. And so then what do I do? The question is, what do I do as a CEO to exhibit that? So how do I embody that? How do I sort of demonstrate that on a day-to-day -day basis? And so when we acquired Ireland, uh, the Irish company ERS, often I would fly over to spend time with the staff. I wasn't there to, hey, we need better numbers. We need this. I was there to, how are your kids? How are things with you? What are we, let's, you know, celebrate this success together. And those are important. Now they're, they're hard because they take time then, you know, being on an airplane. And I've spent many times where I've flown into Dublin and spent 24 hours and flown out. And like, it's rugged, but it's a demonstration of sort of caring and compassion. During COVID was a great opportunity to demonstrate our care and compassion. We got everyone working from home perfectly and safely. Uh, I did weekly video check-ins. 
with the staff, just how are you doing? How are things? I, you know, out of the blue, I had five, I call five people every single day, just randomly in the company. I had my EA just queue them up that here are the five people you got to call. So I get them on a team's call and just check in how they're doing through COVID and call everyone on their birthday. There's, those are the sort of silly examples of, but when you have a company of a size of 400, that takes some volume and managing through that is in alignment to what I believe is a value, which I'm going to take care of my people and that's how I do it. And I think I see some CEOs are focused on the business model or grow. Oh, I got to go meet with customers. Well, that's cool. Just don't pretend to be something else then. And so it's just a bit of a reality check. Again, culture is not something I don't think leaders can delegate. You might have someone in HR that might be responsible, have some ideas to help you with culture, but culture is a top-down situation in my mind. Interesting. How has COVID impacted ISC? I mean, obviously, a lot of businesses have been suffering over the past couple of years due to the pandemic, and some businesses have thrived because of their business models. But because you were utilizing technology and you were serving customers, what has the transition been during the pandemic? Well, you know, I think first, from a human side, COVID has been awful for so many people outside of ISC, inside of ISC. It's, it's been a struggle. So but if you, you spin it a little bit and say, okay, how did the business do? Well, ISC, we invest a lot in technology. We, not because of we were expecting something like this. We were moving to sort of a more of a virtual collaborative. Microsoft Teams was prevalent in our environment. So we were able to work virtually. Our global expansion with Irish office, Vernon office, Toronto, Montreal office sort of forced us to do that. But, you know, a little Saskatchewan company, you got to appreciate it. A few years earlier, we're a Saskatchewan company that wouldn't have had a meeting unless it was in person because that all everyone was here and like, well, let's have a meeting. Now, there is no way we're having a meeting in person. It's virtual like because people are you know all over the place. So we were fortunate to have invested in technology ahead of time. And so that was good. We got a chance to demonstrate our values. We These are examples, but we hand-delivered the office chairs, the folks, the good ergonomic chairs that they had in their office, we hand delivered them to their home so that they wouldn't create back problems sitting at the kitchen table. We made sure they you know, everything was up to speed and working. We, so we had a chance to do that. As well, we, because we're a kind of a technology oriented business, we were able to shift our customers in line. We're not a bricks and mortar business, which I think a lot of businesses struggle, especially with lockdowns and the like. So we didn't struggle there. And then I think the bottom, bottom line would be it demonstrated ISC's skill in this space relative in the registry business where we run registries of governments. Saskatchewan's registries did not miss a beat through COVID. Alberta's registry, I'm not picking on Alberta, but they had trouble because they couldn't get their staff home, but they were in lockdown. And so the registry backed up. And so we're now, it's now a bit of a sales card that the ISC will be able to use with other governments to say, look, at we went through a pandemic and our customers didn't miss a beat. Transactions just kept going and, and it was fine. And same with our sort of services side of our business continued on. And we actually grew fairly significantly in 2019, 2020, and the first three quarters uh, that have been released publicly in, in 2021. They're, they were all kind of growing record years. And we bought a you know our largest acquisition to date. We did in the middle of COVID, you know, Sean, our CFO and I 
you know, we essentially bought a company in, in July of 2020, and it was our biggest acquisition, and neither of us set foot on the plant floor, if you will. And part of that is expertise, and we've been around, we know what we're doing. But like the period of COVID will, in historical sense, will be a good period for ISC from a performance standpoint. Again, from a human and the psychological and the mental and physical challenges that it, it presented for all of us, that's a whole other story. But I think ISC, in times of adversity, we all reveal our character. In this case, ISC's character showed that we're resilient. We're going to deliver to the customer needs. We're going to take care of the people. And like, I'm proud of that. I mean, that, that's part of the exciting part of being in a leadership role. So as you've grown, what are some of the biggest challenges that you've faced as a result of this growth? Part of it's cultural in some ways that uh, our Crown Corporation staff in 2006, when I got there, th these are all Crown employees. I, they come with public sector kind of benefits and, you know, lots of time off and it's a unionized environment, which never like has never affected our growth. Like that being part of our shop, being unionized or, you know, having, hell, I was a government employee myself. So that wasn't uh, sort of a negative, but we acquired a company in 2015 called, uh, called ESC, which really was our first foray into our the competitive landscape. And they did business with banks and law firms, highly competitive. You had to earn your customer every day kind of place. And so we had this sort of monopoly kind of company juxtaposed with a company we just bought that was super competitive, super entrepreneurial. And the challenge is obvious that you have a cultural difference. Now, there's some common alignment that they take care of the people that build a business model. Okay, good. We can work with that. And so the ongoing evolution and challenge was how do we take the best of these cultures and put them together? Like, what could we learn from this entrepreneurial spirit that we could apply to the Crown Corporation spirit? What could we take from this Crown Corporation ISC and apply it to this entrepreneurial crazy business, if you will, and try to meld that? And then as we added pieces, like adding a piece to the puzzle just changes the color of the puzzle a little bit, maybe. And that is a challenge. Now, the ultimate challenge for me is I attract, because of this business model, high-performance people. And so then, you know, I'm a coach at heart, and I'm a human, and I'm a strong empath. And these people are adrenaline junkies. They want to go, 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 go. And then I have to be their kind of governor, if you will, to say, okay, we got to slow down here. Like, this is now we're getting too far. I know you're loving it, and it's great, and you're on an airplane, but you haven't had a day off in six months. You need to go home. Those are growth challenges, but I don't think people would have it any other way if you're part of that environment and, and get something out of that. That's how you are. So as you scale, I mean, I, again, not to digress, but to dive in deeper into this topic, because a lot of companies, they struggle to scale, especially during the pandemic. They've, with remote work, it's been quite challenging. But I'm interested to know, because you've dealt with different companies or companies at a different stages of growth here, how have you kept your team accountable, especially you know, during this phase of growth and recruiting more people and ultimately, you know, implementing new systems? Lots of ways to go there. So first, how do you scale? The mistake we didn't make, which I'm, I'm happy with, the old ISC would have said, what's our problem? Okay, let's put resources, let's hire some resources and fix this problem. The challenge is 
that is sort of a step scale process that you hire up, you don't have expertise, you have a bigger spend, you got to make sure you fill the, you know, fill that workload. What we did was we engaged external partners to help us scale so that we would learn a little. And then when we hit a sort of a point of, okay, now we have enough activity. Now we could use a full-time person. We've learned from our experts, whether they be acquisition experts or legal experts or IT experts. We scaled by using partners because they were good at what they did. And we don't need to build that then, or we don't have. And then once we've been around it enough, okay, now we, it makes sense for us to have that in-house. So that's sort of how we scaled. And I've seen too many people say, I, you know, we need to get in the acquisition game. Okay, the first step is hire a corporate development lead. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Leverage people and partners that are out there. They're going to make money. For sure they are. That's their job. But there are partners that are good at it. They're in the business. And you take a sliver of their time at a sliver of what it would cost you and use that. So in the world of acquisitions, investment bankers, consulting firms, they live in that ecosystem. They'll bring you deals and they'll help you analyze deals and they take a bit of a cut of it or a piece of it. And that that's an okay way to do business. That's not a Saskatchewan sort of go-to Saskatchewan way of doing business because we're you know, we're all in some ways attached to the to the farm and we fix it ourselves and we do it ourselves. But, you know, there are times when the Bay Street folks can be helpful and you got to leverage that or the IT folks or or the local IT people like it. There's all kinds of ways to sort of attach that, you know, attach yourself into the ecosystem that you got to leverage because otherwise you don't know what you don't know. And then you're going to make mistakes and that's OK to make mistakes. It's just don't waste time and energy when you didn't have to. It's okay to make mistakes, make them quick, learn from them. And we did. Like, we're, we're hell, we were far from perfect. And I'd say we probably took, we tried to do too much ourselves early, realized, no, no, let's just bring experts in and help us. Now ISC is at a stage where the company knows exactly what kind of people we need, whether it's internal or external, on an acquisition and is able to move quicker. Like acquisitions can happen quick now. So where do you see the ISC going in the near future? ISC is, is so well poised for growth. And so, you know, essentially the company runs three, three kind of business segments. One is we run land reg our registries on behalf of governments. And the Saskatchewan registry business is, is really strong. And, and ISC does a, does a great job of that. The services business is really growing and has grown significantly. And like I said, it's a win your customer every day kind of business. And the organic growth has been you know, intense because they have great models, they have great systems, they have great services, and customers are attracted to it. I think what's cool in ISC's business, again, I'm speaking as a former ISC employee now, uh, one day past, but certainly intimate with the company, that the technology business, the Dublin sort of focused IT business, does great registry software work, but we announced a deal in 2019 with the Irish Aviation Authority to be their aircraft safety pilot medical record registry, if you will. And that IAA contract is a whole new sort of space for us to be. It takes all those things about running a registry and applies it in an aviation world. And we have a, like one of the world leading partners in the IAA. We're developing it with in partnership. And there's a giant growth potential out of that side of the business that you know we're really excited about. And so 
it gets us in the world of drone management and things that are so far away from boring land transactions. I, I say that tongue in cheek, but to this really cool stuff, you know, registering drones and jurisdictions worldwide. And, and so the, the growth potential of the company is great. The team is fantastic. They will not miss a beat without me being there. They're set up to succeed. Sean Peters is the CFO, was my CFO now today, is the president and CEO. I'm able to still help him and, and give him guidance and advice. And his team, you know, is ready to roll and continues to be. So I, I, there's, there's lots of growth potential excited about the company. I am restricted from saying, oh, it's going to do this. I can't give you forward you know, looking information, but I'm optimistic about what ISC has in front of it. And there's no reason for, for any different. That's great. So on more of a personal note, if you were to go back 20 years, what advice would you give to your younger self? I learned a really important lesson back then. I was 30, so I guess around 22 years ago, that how I needed to show up as a leader, how I thought I should show up as a leader was not how I was showing up as a leader. And I thought I was supposed to be the type of leader that had all the answers, was emotionally distant, was calm in all situations, that had the vision, that had the plan, and everyone just sort of check in with me. I learned in 2001 that that's the opposite of what people need as leaders. Those are not bad things. People really need is me, like who I am, who I am as an authentic, who I am as myself. And that's all they're looking for. And I, I changed my vernacular with, I said things like, I don't know. If I didn't know, I didn't know. I'm frustrated. I'm happy. I'm excited. That disappoints me because they were genuine feelings. And I found that shift alone in sort of perspective changed the amount of followers I had, whether they be sort of defined in an organization or otherwise, that people had a tendency to follow me then because they could believe me and they trusted me. And I was human and I never put on airs about dressing like a Bay Streeter or this is who I am. This is, and it works for me from a father standpoint, from a husband standpoint, from a coach, from a friend to a CEO. And if you meet me, you meet me. And it wouldn't matter if I'm playing hockey with you on a Friday or if I'm having a beer with you on a deck or sitting with you in a boardroom. It's kind of who I am. And I, that would have been really helpful in my 20s because I struggled with that. I was always trying to do the right thing and dress the right way and drive the right car or have all the answers. And there's an element of stress and challenge with that. And it was not serving me because it was disconnecting me from my people. And once I learned that, I think I was able to sort of go from there. I think being authentic is extremely crucial for you to grow personally as well. And what I find is that certain times you model behaviors that are not aligned with your core values and you compromise your own self through that process and you're never satisfied. It's hard. And as leaders, we're challenged sometimes, like if we're running a small business and we're dealing with a customer that we really need, but they're not aligned value perspective. For me, that challenge in 2013 I was really aligned with delivering the way we were delivering our business and our owner, the government of Saskatchewan was really comfortable with us. It was a nice relationship. Well, that shifts overnight. When you go to an IPO, you're dealing with hundreds of investment firms that have pieces of your company. And one wants you to be an evil capitalist and another wants you to be a social advocate. And 
you start rubbing up against your own values in a desperate time, if you will, because you've got all these new investors. And I think for me, what served me well is this is what we're about. This is how we're going to do the business. If it's not aligned to what you want, you shouldn't invest in our business. And that took courage. It's not necessarily the smartest thing to do sometimes, but it takes courage to do it. But in the end, we got the investors that we sort of deserved, people that were patient, that saw the resiliency in the business, that saw that we were a company that weren't going to make silly mistakes. We're going to take care of people. We're going to evolve the business around the customer and had a really long-term trajectory. And I, I, I always talk about my job is not to run the business for a year from now. My job is to make sure this business is 25 years from now is super successful. And not that I was going to be around for that length of time, but that's the context. I made decisions in five-year timeframes, not in quarter timeframes. Jeff, let's talk about your dual life here. I mean, you also are heavily involved in all things football. You want to shed some light on, on that passion? Sure. Yeah. I, it, you know, I, I've been a football coach for a long time. And when my kids started playing football at a minor level, like nine, 10 years old, I got into coaching. I was in coaching before, but got into it again. And I was at the same time, I was the CEO, just a young CEO at the time of ISC. And I was seeing these parallels between coaching nine and 10 and 11 year old kids and the challenges I was facing in at work in the boardroom, like motivating. And I was learning something on the football field that I was applying to you know, work. I was learning something at work that I was applying to the football field. My sort of natural sort of evolution in the in the coaching world sort of evolved. I coached high school. I coached the provincial U16 team to some gold medals. And then I got asked to coach the U18 team, which is the sort of the flagship provincial team. And we won back-to-back gold medals against like powerhouse nations, our provinces like Quebec and Ontario and BC. And then I was also a high school coach and I coached Team Canada. You know, most recently, the last six, this is my sixth season with the uh, University of Regina Rams as a coach. And I just love, as a CEO, I see my value proposition is coach. Like I am, I'm a coach. I'm there to support. I'm there to motivate. I'm there to encourage. I'm there to like help people up. I'm there to lift them higher, whatever. I'm not smartest guy in the room. I don't have the greatest business model idea, those types of things, but I do understand people and that's the influence I can have. Coaching football allowed me to do you know, with the Rams, I have 105 or 100 players that I get direct access to. I get to talk to. I get to one-on-one, one-on-a-hundred. I get to talk about life experiences. I get to talk about football and, and I'm all in. So I love football. I like, always have. And then I got to marry those two worlds together and join the Saskatchewan Rough Rider uh, Board of Directors in 2010 and got to serve my nine-year term. And Got to bring the the actual world of business and mush it together with the actual world of football. And that was super cool. We got to, you know, 2013, we won a great cop. Being part of that season was awesome. I got to hire and be part of the process to hire a president. I got to be part of the process to hire a coach and GM and really meld those things. I got to sit on the CFO Board of Governors for a few years and we got to build Mosaic Stadium and I was influential on that. And it's been great. I currently am the, the chair president of Regina Minor Football as well. So I'm pretty heavily involved in football. But again, back to that authentic leadership stuff, it's just who I am. It's not hard shifting from being a football coach to being a CEO if you're the same dude. 
walking in the room and walking out of the room. Now, sometimes I got to remember that my vernacular and language that I would use in a football world is not exactly the same as a boardroom, but it's pretty close. People have grown to expect that and, and vice versa. So, you know, I think there's just value add and I, I love the combination of the two. So being a football coach made you a better leader at ISC? 100%. That's, I'm not writing a book, but if I wrote a book, that's the book. Like it's both. Like being a football coach made me a better CEO. Being a CEO made me a better football coach. And every business has this, but you know, you do a strat planning session and I always struggled as a CEO about that. And I thought, man, if we did a sports teams, it'd be so easy. We just, let's go win the great cup or win the, and then I realized, no, it's not that easy. There's other stakeholders impacts. It's the same sort of thing. And I continue to learn from one and transfer to the other and vice versa. I don't know which direction that anything is anymore because it's, there's stuff that applies to both, but I actually think that would apply anywhere. You could be a you know, entrepreneur and running your business and apply that learning to a church group. And it's not exactly the same, but you're going to learn something from one, but you're also going to learn something the other way too, if you're open to it. That's good advice for entrepreneurs who are looking for a side hobby or, or something that they can actually work on that could actually help them in their business as well. So, you know what? There's a lot there. I think part of my coaching and part of my football experience, not trying to be altruistic about it, but part of it is giving back. I don't know if we're all oriented enough to understand that the communities we live in need us. And if we're fortunate enough to be able to run a business and be successful, it's consuming and it takes so much time, but giving back matters. And so that's part of the angle that I sort of used maybe to justify the amount of time I spent coaching football and stuff because I'm giving back, I'm giving back, giving back. The reality is, for example, the connections that I made as the Saskatchewan Rough Rider Board of Director. The people, the, the nine others that I sat on the board with, highly successful people that I learned from. And so I would have never had that opportunity if I didn't mesh those two worlds together. And so giving back isn't just giving back because you might, you're going to get something out of it too. And the great leaders that I've seen in our communities you know, over the years in Regina and Saskatoon in particular, the great business leaders are great business leaders, but it's their give back that really matters. You know, Greg Ewell in Saskatoon is a huge focus on giving back. And Greg and I, Greg joined the rider board when I was exiting. I was a big fan of his. And I, I watch his give back or Grant Cook's giving back and what he does in, in the Saskatoon area or Murad Al-Khatib in Regina. They're, these are guys that are highly successful and work, I don't know, 20 hours a day, but still find ways and time to give back. And I think we all can push ourselves a little bit, maybe a little less. Yellowstone or, or Netflix and a little more giving back. So true. And I feel that you can never actually achieve fulfillment until you start giving back. It's, it's full circle. And you have to experience that. You have to continue that and uh, continue to give back. And, and that's how you actually are an integral part of the society. I agree. And I, I think because I'm an old man now, I think it's also part of legacy. And I think it's, it's an important sort of, you know, I have two boys and they're 23 and 21. And I I want to show them that it's, this is what you do. You know, it's good to work. It's good to get things. It's good to take care of some financial stability, but it's really more important is how we give back. So true. So Jeff, what's the next step? I have another full-time job in the sense I'm a football coach. And so that there's a natural sort of, I was always cutting hours out of the day that I should be coaching football when I needed to sleep or something uh, when I was a CEO. 
So I have a little more space in there. The reasons for my stepping down, I love the fact, firstly, I love ISC, still do. Loved ISC, loved being there. I loved being in the leadership role. As the company grew and as my style is such that it was very integrated and intertwined with people's lives and we grew, I don't believe in hierarchical organizations. So, you know, I have 11 direct reports and there's a lot of time and energy and, and being spent. And I, I was at it for 16 years. And fortunately, I, get to, I got to leave on top, if you will, in the sense of the business is running well, you know, I'm good. And so I just needed a change and a change or a break, or maybe I'm retired forever. I, I don't know. Part of my decision was there was somebody ready to be the CEO. Sean was ready. And that's part of my style is growing folks. And Sean, Sean and I were a great team and he's going to be great. And so I love to step aside and say, okay, Sean, like take her away. And he's going to do awesome. So what's next for me? I don't know. I've had lots of job offers. I've had lots of opportunity to sit on a board or I'm going to be really selective about what I want to do and just take a little bit of a break. I, I want to, I, I use the metaphor. I, I want to golf and not look at my phone between the holes to see, do I have to take this or answer that? Or I want to go on a holiday with uh, my wife, Cheryl, and not be checking emails at the end of the day and returning calls. And so I look forward to that. I don't know what that means yet. So I, I don't have all the answers. You're catching me pretty early in this process, but I'm excited about what the next chapter is. And I'm sure there'll be a chapter. I'm sure it's not 52 year old man goes into retirement, but if I like it, I'm, I might. I personally believe you have a lot to share with the entrepreneurial community. There's a lot of businesses that can learn so much from what you have experienced. So finally, based on your experience and the challenges that you've overcome, if there was one big takeaway that you could give to our listeners, what would that be? Most entrepreneurs, they're pretty self-motivated and driven. The takeaway I would offer up is that if you're doing the right thing, it may not feel like you're getting the results you're looking for right away, but if you're doing the right thing in the long term, it is going to work. And just keep doing the right thing for the right reasons and it's going to work. Don't measure yourself on a daily or weekly or quarterly basis if you know this is the right idea and the right, just put in the work, do a good job, show up, do a good job. And at some point, the nut cracks. It's going to be worth it. And I think I've seen too many people, you know, they stop or they're so close and they don't finish or they say, is it really worth the hours I'm putting in in a day here? My answer is if you started it for a reason, it's probably still right. And doesn't mean it doesn't mean some, need some shifts. The second is surround yourself with as many good people as you can. It doesn't mean hire them. Just get connections. If, if there's something even in today's discussion that triggers, I need to explore that, reach out. There's like, I'm happy to give advice, um, you know, get what you pay for clearly, which probably will be worthless, but surround yourself with people ask questions, get advice, get support. You know, Saskatchewan's full of folks that are brilliant and hard workers and all that stuff. And they're just around, just ask. And I think there's lots of us that are ready and able to help. Don't give up. Sounds good. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today and learn so much with the insights that you've brought forth. Where can people find out more about yourself and contact you online? 
LinkedIn is probably the most logical place. Jeff Stusek, J-E-F-F, Stusek, S-T-U-S-E-K. You can reach out and we can chat back and forth or whatever. Uh, you can also catch me on Twitter, I'm sure, although my tweets aren't very interesting. I'm at, at J-Stuse, S-T-U-S-E, and we can connect. Sounds good. I'll uh, definitely make sure that we include a link to your profile in the podcast here. And I certainly wish you the best. And please uh, do keep in touch. Thanks for the chat. Thank you for listening. And we hope you found this episode useful. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. You can see more information and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at saskentrepreneurs.com. That's S-A-S-K entrepreneurs.com. This episode is brought to you by TwoWeb. Growing your business online is overwhelming. At TwoWeb, we make it simple. Our agency has helped over 700 businesses and nonprofit organizations grow through digital marketing. Learn more and reach out to us at TwoWeb.ca.